brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by Midday Squares. Have you ever tried a Midday Square? They are the first functional chocolate bar and they're making waves. They're vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and non-GMO. They have 6 grams of protein, 4 grams of fiber, and omega-3s. Most importantly, they kill hunger, fuel your brain, boost your mood, and all from natural energy. They're everything a chocolate bar isn't and everything a protein bar wishes it was. Use the code KELSEY15 at checkout to get 15% off today. Sean Ryan finally made it to the show after death threats, back surgeries, and whatever else, but we got him and he's here. You're welcome, everyone. Sean, hi. Thanks for coming on, dude. You are one of the most requested guests for the Brass and Unity podcast in the past year and a half. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, that's, that's, that's humbling to hear. So that's cool. I'm well, glad I mean, we finally got it. I'm sorry. I know my, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am a pain in the ass when it comes to scheduling, but uh, we're here. No, listen, so I always tell the, the story, the same story about the one person that was so much worse and him and I, it was both of us and it was Jeff Depetit and uh, he's a Canadian JTF2 guy and him and I, I think there was like nine times we had scheduling literally thunder oh, and li- yeah thunder and lightning took out our wi-fi the one day like it was it took a lot but we got it done and it was well received so people applaud the uh the commitment um either way i'm stoked you're here we were just kind of talking a little bit about um you and your back and you you've got you've had a wild journey you've had a crazy life and it's kind of brought you to where you are now, where you're doing a lot of uh, amazing things with your, not only your podcast, but your company. And you're involved with a lot of different organizations and helping to bring awareness to people that are really changing and saving lives. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show. I want to know why you even decided the military. Is that a is that a, like a thing in America? Because that's the trend I'm catching on to is every other person is like, I was in the military. My brother was in the military. My sister was in the military. Everybody's been in the military. Yeah. Well, um, I, I wasn't like pushed to go in the military or anything like that. I just, I was not a great student in, (laughs) in high school and I wasn't, 
I, I'm not like a athlete, you know, I wasn't like a, a state champion wrestler or all state football player. I really, to be honest with you, I just didn't have much going for me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I didn't have much going for me. And, um, it was me and my dad always butt heads about it because I didn't care about really anything. And, uh, he, he made it very clear that I wasn't going to be getting any, uh, help for school from them. And, uh, and I was a hard headed son of a bitch. And I was like, well, I don't really care because, uh, I'm going to go become a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and, and, uh, I had already, yeah, I was, I was, I, I just knew it wasn't for me, you know, and, uh, I need something that's going to keep me excited and keep me engaged and, you know, I'm sure probably my freshman year of college maybe would have been like that, but I probably would have got bored immediately, you know, after that. And so I just wanted something that finally that was going to challenge me that I wanted to do. Like, I, you know, it's not that school or sports didn't challenge me. I just didn't. It just wasn't my passion. And, and at that time, being a SEAL was my passion, you know, or going into the military. Did you so you knew you wanted to be a Navy SEAL? You knew what the seals were. Well, <clears throat> not exactly. Uh, that, when, <laughs> when we had that, when we had that discussion, when I had that discussion with my dad, I I did. But mm. when it started, it was when it started. I I think the first thing that I wanted to do was the Marine Corps. I wanted to be a recon guy. You know, I'd heard a lot about it. I I, I was always infatuated with GI Joes. You know, if people still know what those are, but G.I. Joe's and then <laughs> I loved the Vietnam movies and shit, you know, and um, and uh, and so anyways, I wanted to be a Marine. Marines basically kind of laughed me out of the office. I mean, I was like probably 112 pounds back then because that's what I was wrestling. It was about 112 pounds, 119 pounds. And um, and uh so they laughed me out talked to the army i couldn't get into special operations there and then it's i'm you've probably heard this story a thousand times and then there's the navy recruiter sticking his hand out like, <laughs> yeah you know hold on you want to be a seal <laughs> and uh, i was like that's What's your that? clip right there <laughs> yeah you know and um <laughs> and uh he gave me some information on it and and I read it, I read up on it, which was impressive because I didn't read. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, I was like, oh, read this book. No. <laughs> and uh, Great. But I read all the information I could get on it, watched every documentary I could get my hands on. And um, that's what I wound up. That's they were the only ones that would take me. That's basically what it comes down to. They were the only ones that gave me an opportunity. To do what, what I wanted to do. Which is funny to me because if you say the Marines laughed you out, how tall are you? Five nine. And you were 119 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I was 118 pounds and I'm five foot the day I got pregnant with my son. I was fatter then. I'm not that fat now. But I'm saying I was I was then. My point is to picture somebody your size that tiny, and the Marines say no but the Navy saying, yes, I don't think they would have thought you would have become a Navy SEAL. I don't think that's what they were recruiting you for over there, my friend. 
Well, I don't think they really were. I, th- I think this hasn't been confirmed, but I think the whole <laughs> SEAL program, like the marketing aspect, they they sucker so many people in to get into Navy because it's a what? It's like an 85% dropout rate. So it's yeah. how they backfill all their positions that are, you know, so it's like, oh, yeah, come over here. We'll get you in. I love how you clarify this has not been confirmed. Like you can tell you've worked in the CIA. Like, I mean, it's okay, but you can tell it's, it's, (laughs) it's the best. I love these conversations. Okay. Let's just dive right in. How was buds? Did you enjoy that? Did you thrive in that considering how small you were? Was that something that uh, you were great at? Uh, I wouldn't say some things came easy for me. Like the runs were, uh, I was just always pretty fast, you know, but, um, cause you didn't weigh any swims. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I was the, can we use foul language on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay, cool. I was the asshole that was like 18 years old, 19 years old before four mile run down there smoking a cigarette, you know, and, uh, flicking it out right before the run starts. Oh. And, uh, so that came easy to me, but, <clears throat> but, the swims and the cold and, and the other stuff was all, it was hard, you know? Yeah. It was hard, but I was excited to be there. You know, I got there scared shitless of everybody that had a blue shirt on all the seal instructors and, and, uh, scared shitless of all the people that have made it through hell week. And like I said, I was maybe when I showed up to buds, I was probably maybe one thirty, one forty ish, uh, wait, and I just remember looking at guys that I was like, oh, man, that guy would literally destroy me in, <laughs> in about 30 seconds. And he just quit. I don't know how the hell I'm going to pull this shit off, but I wound up doing it, you know. And uh, and uh, so, you know, when you hear guys like say anybody can make it, anybody can make it. You know, I've, I've seen the. <laughs> The you know world renowned athletes quit and little runts like me make it you know and and is and everything in between. You're, so, you're really setting the bar for people that think highly of the seals right now, my friend. Yeah, you're really, you're really just great advertisement. <laughs> Hi, do you want to be a seal? Anybody yeah, can right make here. it. <laughs> That's me. That's me over here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, good. At least you can joke about it because. There is a, I do have a fair mix of either Rangers, SEALs, uh, SBS, or SAS on the show. And there's always a good amount of shit talking about the SEALs for whatever reason. So, I mean, it's nice to know that you're, you just, you just take it. You're just taking it on the chin. You're just rolling with what's normally being said. Okay, good. Shows character. Why did you decide after the SEALs to go CIA and not just leave? Is that something that you needed in your life was it a reason you left the seals instead of staying with them no i you know my seal career was extremely short it's only it was just shy of six years actually and um no i actually left i read i started getting into business and um like or getting interested in business and uh you know at that time when i left it was 2006 and um so i don't know if you remember but at that time the housing market was just everything was booming right Mm -hmm. before the crash and so and i just i looked at 
I'm, I've always been a thinker and I was always looking ahead at my life and being in the teams. Like I love the job. I love being in combat. I love the camaraderie. What I didn't love was watching the guys that I looked up to who were master chiefs, you know, commanders, like top brass people that made a career out of it and looking at them and go, that guy doesn't have anybody but a black lab to come home to after deployment. And that's fucking sad. And I don't want to be the guy that I don't want to be that guy. That's just not for me. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, but I was like, that looks lonely and uh, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> so, so I decided to go to the CIA. No, I'm just, but uh, so I got out with the intentions of business, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to get into real estate and then me and my dad uh, were actually going to open a franchise and then the market tanked, you know, but I was but right before the market tanked, we didn't have the funding. So I was like, well, I don't want to do this, you know, but I can go to contracting. Contractors make, you know, a shit ton of money. And so I was like, I can go do that for a year or so, come up with the money for this franchise and then just and then we could start it. Well, then the market, you know, then the market crashed. And so so I got in there and. um yeah. And then it just turned into, you know, the, the franchise thing kind of fell apart, you know, and um, so I just stuck with it and I kept advancing uh, in that within that organization. And, and um, yeah, that's why I went in. That's why. OK. That, I mean, that makes sense. Did you at all feel the the need or the want to go back to doing the type of work you were doing as a SEAL? I mean, obviously, there was the reason you left you couldn't have the business you wanted. So you went to do the next thing that you knew you'd be good at is, was there a pull to that though? Like I'm thinking from an emotional side after leaving as a seal, I mean, the types of deployments that you guys do, you know, they're, they're aggressive and there's a reason why the seals and the Rangers and everyone get brought in before traditional forces, like people like myself. So I can't help, but wonder is, did you miss an aspect of that? And there was a pull towards that rather than going into some other type of job you could have done? Well, I was actually in a fire academy at that time as well, but um, I did not, I'd be lying if I said I went into contracting. Uh, and when I say I went into contracting, honestly, I didn't even know that it was going to be the CIA. And um, they didn't tell us until after we'd kind of passed everything, but we, <clears throat> but I didn't realize how much I missed that kind of work until I got back into all the way into a deployment. And I was like, I kind of like this shit, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, I kind of miss this. And then, and then, and then that turned into nine years, you know, give or take, you know, a year or two, I think a year. Yeah. I think it was nine years, but, um, but, yeah, I got. I actually started with Blackwater uh, on a, on their, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, uh, secret program. Mm-hmm. But um, got went to Blackwater, then kind of jumped around a little bit, and then uh, and then got a contract to work direct for them, and uh, without working for one of the contracting companies, so I took that. That was um, that was cool. You know, not everybody gets asked that. 
you know, like, hey, we would like you to come just over here with us full time. And for, uh, for the best of your ability, what does that look like? The most you can say. What does that normally look like? Because I picture, I obviously know this isn't reality. This is me on like the super civilian side of me going, I picture walking down the street, having a coffee. It's like real sunny. And I like sit down on a bench. And then like another person sits down on a bench. Goes, hey there. And they got a newspaper. And they got a newspaper. And then life goes on. Obviously, that's yeah. not how it happens anymore. But God, that would be cool if it did. No, that's not how it happens. How it happened uh, initially was I was in the fire academy and and uh, I had kind of thrown some resumes out to a couple companies and nobody was really getting back to me. This is like 07, oh, yeah, 07 time frame. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> my buddy who was in my platoon uh, text hit me up and was like, hey, you know, I'm working for Blackwater doing contracting. And I was like, ah, I don't want to work for them. They got a bad rap. And he's like, nah. He's like, this is a different side of the house. He's like, everybody's like us that's on this project. And he's like, it's not, I can't tell you anything else. He's like, mm -hmm. I just think you would be happy here. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll try it. Gave my resume. Took like seven months, six or seven months, I think, to like finally get in there to get oh, to even wow. get a call back. So I didn't even, I had given up on it. You know, I was like, well. This isn't going to happen. Then they, I got a package. It was basically show up at this date at this place. And um, here's what to bring. So I went, passed everything, got in there. And uh, at the end, that's kind of when they tell you like, hey, you know, this contract's working for the agency, da, 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 da. And uh, did two deployments. Then uh, got bumped up to the next level within the same company. And then uh, after that, I, I moved over to a company called Sock, and um, only because they were paying better and the deployment schedule was more kind of friendly towards the contractor. And then worked for them. And then uh, I had some buddies that were kind of get crossed and over. And I was like, well, what's it like? you know, on that side. And they're like, well, let me drop your name. Maybe they'll be interested in bringing you over. So uh, one of them dropped my name. And uh, then kind of the same deal several months later, I just got, I think it was an email. And it was like, hey, I'm so-and-so with this program. And we would like you to, you know, would you be willing to pass a polygraph and a new background check and redo everything that you've already done to try out? And I was like, fuck yeah so <laughs> why not which uh, yeah which i was actually scared shitless because i had just gotten arrested in miami like the week prior <laughs> i was like as one oh does my God, there's no way i'm gonna get a clearance uh but <clears throat> but uh it was like a bullshit arrest wasn't it it was uh well whatever i'll just say it it was petty theft i got drunk Ooh. in miami and uh, took a taxi to South Beach from downtown to South Beach. And I didn't have any cash to pay the cab. He wouldn't take me to an ATM. So they told me I, it was petty theft and uh, threw my ass in jail. So, yeah, good stuff. Oh. But, uh, I don't think I've told anybody that one. So then I, then I got on my first deployment. 
and my mug shot was all over everywhere. I mean, at the agency, if they (laughs) didn't do that to you, I feel like that would make me sad. I would expect them to pass it on t-shirts on a billboard. Have you mm -hmm. seen Sean Ryan? Employee of the month. Oh, (laughs) but that would have been a good one. Yeah, I was like, there's no way they don't know about this. And uh, I was like, well, I guess they just don't care, you know, and, and or yeah. maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't even look. Maybe they were just like, well, then I got on deployment. There was every in every room, every door, everywhere. So what's that saying? You can't you can't mess up and then end up being in the military work for the government. No, no. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can always mess up. It's depending on how bad they want you. Yeah, it is. It oh, is. isn't that the way? That's fantastic. Well, I'm I'm glad that you were able to progress into that. But that's got to come with its own weight and its own tolls and its own emotional issues. I mean, were you married at the time that you were a contractor? No. Okay, so no. you were smart. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Okay. I mean, I would argue yes. I think the majority, I think what's the, what is the number? It's like high nineties. The majority of special forces divorce rate uh, is astronomically high. And it's like that because of the rapid deployments and the amount of time gone and all of those things. So I always ask if people are, were married when, you know, are they, if they're married now, were you married then? Because it, most of the time they say, no, they were married and now they're not. And it just shows the amount of turnover. It's a, it's a conversation we talk about a lot because I think a lot of people don't realize the the impact that certain types of professions have on relationships and family and the unit itself. Um, we had the the people who runs the C four Foundation on uh, to talk about what they do with the Navy SEALs and the women and some of the way that they help family units stick together while you guys are deployed and things like that. But when you were in as a member, how was that for you? Because you did two deployments um, with, with with Blackwater and the CIA. Were they both with the CIA? It's uh, yeah, they were. There was a special program that Blackwater had back in back at that time, and they yeah. it was for the Central Intelligence Agency. Okay. <laughs> and so you're still a you're still a CIA contractor. You're just not there's a middleman, you know what I mean? There it's paychecks come from a different place. And, um, is that what you're asking? Yeah. 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 No, that's what I was asking. Like, cause so when you deploy as a, when you deploy as somebody that's in the CIA, I'm sure those couldn't have been easy deployments or were those the type of deployments where you were, for example, I just had Phil, um, Sus. Sussman on God, I can never say his last name right from American Yogi and we were talking about one of his deployments and something that I learned that I didn't realize was when you were a certain level you had a lot of leeway over how you either collected intelligence or what you dressed like and who you talked to and things like that so how was that for you being a contractor going on those deployments was it very similar or was it militaresque where you were in uniforms and you were I'm just trying to get kind of lay of the land of what those look like without saying where they were. Yeah, well, uh, it's a great question. And so it's the the program that I was in was very 
it was new. It didn't come about until after nine eleven, um, and they made the the they made the requirements extremely high to get in to that program, and the, and the training qualifications were really high to especially the shooting was another level that I had not I didn't even to be honest know existed and even I was as a like, seal yeah I it blew I don't know if the shooting package is better now but especially when it comes to handguns because you're going to be used that's kind of your primary you know and so I mean we did a lot of handgun shooting we did a lot of rifle shooting I had, had never had to be this accurate you know is is in that fast with the handgun before so when they when we were doing the calls i was like holy shit you know these are i don't know if i can pull this one off and um <laughs> but anyways the the guys that they were getting i mean they were getting like these top of the line guys and uh in 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 the program and and the people that we were with weren't really used to they didn't really understand what we were capable of and then as the war went on, they're like, these guys like can do a lot of shit. You know, it kind of it kind of started as protection type stuff. And then it was, oh, you guys can do surveillance. Oh, you guys can do this. You can do that. Uh-huh. You can do this. You know, like they're like, these guys can pretty much do anything we throw at them. So the job expanded. And um, so as far as like a day to day thing, you never. uh for different deployments you never really know what you're getting into you know you might you might be at one where you're at a headquarters type base and it's you got to dress nice and play nice and it's political and in in and and then in one moment and then the next moment you got to turn on the operator side of, you know you might have a deployment where you're stuck in a prison playing an xbox for two months you might have a deployment where what? you're in yeah, you might have a deployment where you're in full kit, you know what I mean, and wearing camis, and you look like you're a SEAL going, getting ready, you know, to go on one of those type of ops. So you, it's really like this kind of mixed bag of nuts, and it depends what part of the world you're going in, and 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 how close to the flagpole you are, and what the mission is for that particular base, you know, and so. When you went on these deployments, out of all of the deployments that you've had in the time overseas, which one do you find that you made the most impact or were most effective? Oh, shit. Um, I'll give you a sec. Yeah. I, you know, the operations were just so different that I don't, I can't really pinpoint one. I can tell you the first one that comes to mind that. That I, because a lot of the stuff at the agency, you don't see the impact, you know, because you might, you might be tracking a guy, you know, or part of a team that's tracking a guy that they've been after for years, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're there for 90 days of that two years. And then you go to another project and you never revisit that, you know what I mean? And you don't really know what happens. So you don't know, you don't realize the full magnitude of the impact that you that you're having on on a a fucking global scale you know when it comes to what you're doing at the agency uh in the seal teams we did the last thing that i did was um in iraq we were doing a bunch of sniper stuff for 
conventional units. Conventional units kept getting blown up, running, uh, you know, anything from supply routes to surveillance, you know, routes to whatever, you know, convoys. And they're just getting hammered, you know, with fucking IV, IEDs. Back then it was the EFPs, you know, that were getting everybody. And uh, so we would attach to these conventional units like 10th Mountain and <clears throat> take, you know, a handful of their guys, teach them how to, you know, set up a target package, how to set up a sniper hide, teach them some sniper shit, you know, train some indigenous forces because we had to have like that base, you know, back then. Yep. And uh, which whatever you know but um oh no there's something to that what do you mean whatever let's talk about it well i mean what do you mean whatever time these these guys wouldn't even show up you know be like oh we're on vacation but it's that's just negative bullshit but um but with these guys you know they were very they were motivated the u.s guys were always really motivated because it's their fucking guys getting killed you know mm-hmm. blown up so we'd we'd run them through a week or two of training and then we would set up a target package, go out, kill the bad guys that are blowing them up. Uh, I think we, I think we, it was always wherever we went. I think it was always within the first twenty-four hours that it was like boop, done, move on to the next one. And uh, and we actually saw the first unit that we attached with, which I believe that was the Tenth Mountain guys. Uh, we, we attached several different units, came back, it was deployment was done. And we saw, uh, the team lead that we had trained up for, it was like a group of four guys, I think. And we got, we got to have chow with them, me and a couple of guys from my team. And, and they were like, man, thank you for doing that. Like we fucking killed X amount of bad guys. Our convoys have not been hit one time since you guys uh taught us how to do this our command bought us all new gear they got rid of all (laughs) that shit that you guys ripped off us like take this shit off take it you know because they were wearing the it was conventional they had the you know the dick plate and and oh i know all about you know the conventional shit that doesn't fit anybody yes who's gonna have you seen the photo of me in my full kit yes it's, i am i'm sorry just for like two and a half seconds how the fuck if somebody's actually if i ever had to have a hand-to-hand situation i there's i'm dead there's nothing that could have been done to help anybody yeah. in that situation yeah so. so that's the first thing we did with these guys is we're like get take just take it all take everything off here's wrong. some new shit and uh and so their command like bought them not only them but i think they bought like the whole you know whatever you call it that everybody got a new setup and it was all the recommendations that we'd made it was just fucking cool to see like dude not only did we teach these guys how to do it and they effectively did it you know they like it just, it just like, you know how many People lives were probably saved from that? And, yes. and, and it was just really that, that just stuck with me, you know, cause that was immediate feedback and we taught them how to do it. We didn't just go in there and go, all right, we'll take care of it. We taught them how to do it. It's like, you know what I mean? It's fucking cool, man. To, Isn't to that amazing that. when, when you yeah. just have good leadership and good skills and just take two and a half seconds instead of just spitting out the same damn crayon and hoping 
that they're going to figure it out instead of just having people die unnecessarily. When you just give them the tools to do their job properly, how much more effective they can be. Yeah. Direct feedback is awesome. You know, it's just really cool to see. And what year was that one? Uh, that would have been 06. And so that one really must have stuck. That that must have really had an impact on you for it to stick that much. I mean, we're 2022 and you know that that that's like the first thing that came to your mind there. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you know, I mean, I know a lot of things we had had a direct had an impact, you know what I mean? But I didn't get to see like the full magnitude of it. And that's honestly, I guess that's probably the only because it was such a simple operation. It wasn't complex. It didn't have a whole lot of different, you know, moving parts. It wasn't a long ongoing thing. You know, it was like, even if you go and do a DA and kill kill a number one guy, like you killed a number, you know, you killed an HPT or whatever, you know, you still don't really see the impact, you know, that that had. It's like, cool, now there's another number one. Or now there's another HPT that took his place. With this, it was... I mean, it's pretty low level, you know, if you think about it. Um, but it was, it was just fucking cool. It's like, damn, we just saved like a shit ton of lives and taught these guys how to take care of the problem when, the next time it arises. And they did, you know, they did do it, and uh, and they were appreciative. And and not only that is it didn't just it seems it may seem low level, but if you really break that down for what it is, you taught these guys, and I can guarantee these 18 and 19 and 20 year old kids who were there who are having Navy SEALs take time to go, your shit's so wrong. This is why you're dying. Let us fix the problem when your own leadership weren't doing it for you, when you took time. And then I guarantee they had to deploy again at some point and they probably got broken up and they probably went with different people. And then they taught those skills to those people and other lives were saved. So that probably had a way larger impact than you even realize. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for saying that. It's, it's true though. I mean, I, I was very lucky to have an American, I was at an American FOB. So I was very lucky to have one of these Americans who's no longer with us. I speak about him a lot. Chris Gould talked to me um, and take time to explain things to me to the best of his ability because he had had so many more deployments. And when he had heard I was going to do something, he just sat me down and was like, all right, kid. The point is, People don't realize the ripple effect they have on others because they don't see it. And that's why I try to acknowledge it because he taught something to someone who then I taught something to someone. And it just is such a special thing. And I think even though it may seem low level, stuff like that is uh, way more impactful than uh, most people realize or even just take the time to realize. No fault of your own. It's just you're busy. You know, you guys got to move to the next thing, move to the next thing. You can't be holding on to those. You got to compartmentalize and go. So I, I get why. Um, but I'm glad. I'm glad that you had that moment. That made me really happy to see your face there. That was fucking awesome, dude. Um, Thank you. Okay. You're so welcome. So I want to get into a little bit <clears throat> about after you left um, the CIA, when you kind of went to a civilian position, because you started your company. Um, and it seems like, again, those skills that you learned you were passing off to people like law enforcement and civilians. And with the world that we have now, I can't tell you how many more people need to exist like you 
so that we can stop having tragedies that we're having at the rate that we're having them. Because living in the communist country of Canada, it's a matter of time, in my opinion, before we have a Texas incident, like the one I'm speaking of that just happened. And then not only is it a matter of time, it's going to happen because our society's mental health is the worst it's ever been. And there is access to weapons regardless of which country you're in. If somebody wants to do something, they're going to find a way to do it. So how did you go from that to bringing that influence into the civilian world and the law enforcement world? That was tough. You know, um, I was not in a good headspace uh, when I left. And I'm, I mean, we can go into that. But Oh, we're going to. You know, everybody, you know, has their transition story. But, um, but you know, I originally what I was trying to do was... <clears throat> just teach. I wanted to teach. I did not want to do that. I wanted to teach families like contingency plans. And it was probably a little over the top, you know, but it was like, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) You're in a different mindset when you leave. It's like the whole world's coming in, whether you like it or not. And most civilians don't, you know, Barbara's over here with a lighter, just going, don't touch my kids. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, but I didn't know anybody. I'd moved to Boca Raton, Florida, when I was getting ready to start this, and which is a very wealthy community. I didn't know anybody, and I didn't realize how big networking was, and and how much knowing people comes into play with business. Mm-hmm. So that folded like immediately it was like all right this isn't gonna work so i was like all right what does everybody want to see they want to see seals shooting guns blowing shit up doing tactics so i started doing that and um and uh honestly i didn't i don't want to i don't want to offend anybody here but fuck it whatever you know like i did not want to do... everyone so please go yeah. ahead i didn't want to i did not want to train police i didn't want to train anybody where there was going to be an ego conflict, you know? And I, I just, I was like, I don't want to do that, you know? Cause I'd trained with cops before and it's always, it's always the fucking dick measuring contest and, and not just cops. It's, it's seals and green berets, seals and is. fucking air force CCT guys, seals and, or, or green berets. And CC, it's all, it's, you know, it's that, it's mm-hmm. that fucking alpha male mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, my All shit's of, yeah. better than yours. Well, not really. That's why I'm fucking here to begin with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, and I, I just didn't want to get into that. And so my, honestly, Kelsey, my favorite clients where I used to do these all women's courses. Yeah. And, and again, like you go train a police department and it's, oh, we fucking worked with gold team. Oh, we fucking worked with Delta. Cool. Well, now you're fucking working with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry that you're on such a low level, but obviously whatever the fuck you're doing isn't working <laughs> and that's why I'm here. But you have to like go through that whole yeah with women and 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 not just women but beginners, people that are I just wanted to train the family person that just wants to protect their family and fucking church. They're not trying to jump into Baghdad tomorrow, you know, and <laughs> go volunteer take down, Ukraine. Yeah, you know, oh. I'm not that and you and what I started seeing was I would get these women that had like been sexually abused, raped, sexually assaulted, 
you know, maybe in a, in an abusive relationship and they would come to my course, like thinking that I'm going to be the typical stereotypical, you know, seal hard ass. And I made it fun, you know, and I really hammered out fundamentals and I really took the time to make sure that they would get comfortable with the gun and, and, you know, like actually competent, not just this, how you use it. Now let's go, let's go do mag changes. It was like, nope, we're going to do one round in the chamber 500 times until you figure out how to rack this damn gun and put some muscle into it. And to see like, dude, to see these women's competence level, just go from nothing to totally empowered in eight hours and then coming back for more and bringing friends. And it was just like, this is fucking cool. Like this woman walked in this course with her head down, you know, no, no self-confidence at all. And because we had fun and she's confident now that she can at least, you know, manipulate a weapon the correct way. And, and when they leave, they're laughing, having a good time. They feel comfortable. It's like that kind of shit man made the world it just meant the world to me to see and um and then and then my company started getting bigger uh i did a youtube video that went crazy and that's when all the kind of uh the weirdos showed up you know and and it wasn't it wasn't empowerment it was what fucking shoes are you wearing? What kind of belt is that? What kind of holster is that? I got a red dot. Look at my gun. I have lasers. Cool. You got a laser. What the fuck are you going to do with a laser? You got nods? No. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it's, and that, I never wanted to teach that crowd though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I got personal satisfaction and I never made business, which is probably stupid, but I never made business about money. You know, uh-huh. I always, there was like a self, you know, um, I just got a lot out of it, you know, and it was cool. And then, and then the, and then the weirdos showed up and I was like, this shit isn't for me, dude. Like, I'm not out here to be a badass, and I'm not out here to show off and I don't fucking care what you learned from so-and-so. Like, I just want to help people protect themselves. And then, and, um, yeah. So, but it, but the women, ma'am was like, I, I just still remember. Hey, you, have you checked in with yourself today? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Have you had enough water? This is your midday check-in, brought to you by Midday Squares. Big breath in. <sighs> I'm back at it. Every course that I did, you know, and, and all the different women that came through there from all different ages, and it was just fucking awesome, dude, to see that. Well, when you're giving, when you get, and some, I don't know why some people find an issue when I say this, but it's pretty damn true. It's like when you elevate women, you'll elevate the household, you'll elevate the next generation, you'll elevate. It's because it's not because men aren't important. Men are incredibly important in families' lives and in protection, but who's with the kids most of the time, dude? Who's at the house most of the time? Who's going to be out with them in public situations where something could go awry? You want those people to know how to protect their families and how to be trained. I mean, I've actually had this conversation with my husband uh, and this isn't to put him down. He actually, he agrees. (laughs) He thinks it's funny. Um, So let me preface it with that. But he goes to me like one day, he's like, what happens if somebody comes in the house? I said, you and Jack go out the window and I'll meet you out there. (laughs) 
And he goes, he goes, I want to put like a light in the room. That's like, if that happens, you hit it and the, everything just goes black and fucking rage against the machine goes on. He goes, you're in here with me, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I'm like, let's go. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> we know who that is in the family. It's just not him. It's not his shtick. He's not into guns. He's not into that. He's strong. He can be violent if necessary. Don't get me wrong. But I am the violent one. And it's because violence, I believe, women can be way more violent if given the opportunity and given the tools to do so, mainly because we have that that motherly, I think every woman mm-hmm. does, whether they have children or not, there it's it's in there. And if you if you hit it, it's a dangerous kind of thing. There's a certain type of crazy that'll come out <clears throat> that is. I got to tell you, when you have a kid, man, which I saw you had recently, congratulations. Um, you. When you have a kid, it's a different ball game. Just a different thing. I found that out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I say it in my wife. Yeah. yeah oh, did she, uh, she hit the switch? Did she? Oh, I just, you just see it. You know, you see it immediately. It's, uh, yeah. And the mama bear, like, just, it happens, like, immediately. Wait until your kid's in school. I can't wait, <laughs> but I may or may not have violently screamed at a five-year-old one day in front of the entire school because he hit my kid in the head for the last time. <clears throat> oh, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Principal yeah. loves me. Stops <laughs> it. I'm telling you, once you have something that you've made, because I don't know if you're aware of this, we're fucking magic. We, we have this thing where we make life like women yeah. do, like women, women make life. We do. And when we do, something happens, something switches, man. And it's, it's a different animal. So I would love to see in the United States and in Canada, a whole unit of special forces just for women, kind of like the Israelis do, because I would rather have a seal come after me than like a female version of that because they don't forget and they're like real vindictive and like they're real snarky and like they'll just do like real shady like they're just sketchy and women can be way more dangerous in my opinion if, if given the situation so I'm glad that you taught all of these women because then again just like you did overseas you're going to see the same thing happen those women are going to teach their kids and then they're going to teach their friends and they're going to be like, did you know how empowered I am with a gun? And they're going to be like, uh, no, ma'am, but you should take me to that course. And then they're going to feel confident enough to tell their next friend and then their next friend. And it's not something that they would have ever probably learned. So yeah. good job. Thank um, you. You're welcome. I love, I love hearing about women taking charge of their safety, um, especially if a situation has like come up and arisen in their life in the past, because that is something I see so much, um, in jujitsu, uh, with my son, I hear about a lot of women going and learning jujitsu after they've been assaulted because they never want to feel like a victim again. They never want to have a situation arise where they can't protect themselves. So you switched over to law enforcement after this because the weirdness came out. So you just didn't do it anymore. I just, yeah, I, I eventually, well, what happened is I started doing, I started teaching it, you know, I started doing night vision courses and stuff. And then I I just didn't like it. I was like, this is just not 
me. I just don't like it. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know why I'm teaching this. And, um, <clears throat> so I started doing just private lessons and, uh, and with the, with the police department. So I just, you know, I, I did some training for, now I wouldn't say like entire departments, but I trained guys who were in charge of training for their departments, uh, gratis, you know, like, Hey, let me help you out with your training program. Uh, every time a law enforcement agency would reach out, it was just, it was for me, it was just like, jump. It was just jump through this hoop, jump through this hoop, jump through this hoop. And it's like, it was like, well, how many people do you want to train? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you want trained on? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, how can I help you? I don't know. You know what I mean? What's your budget? I don't know. All right. Well, call me back. When you have the answer to these, <laughs> you know, let me know. And, uh, and I just never got anywhere with law enforcement. So I train, you know, I just train like guys that come to my course. I'd find out they're a cop. They're in charge of training. They would ask for help. And I'd be like, yeah, let's, I'm, I got a private lesson next week. You know, why don't we work a couple hours after that? And we'll come up with a training regimen for you. And so that's kind of how I uh, gave to that community. And, uh, but I never was like, uh, I never was doing a lot of law enforcement, you know, training contacts and, and they don't have much of a budget. Either, no, unfortunately. Not you anymore. Know. Yeah. They never did. Yeah. You know, now it's even less, unfortunately. But yeah. um that's a that's a yeah. whole separate that's a whole separate issue and that's why people are gonna get killed on the job. <clears throat> yeah. That's a that's a whole separate I could rant on that for hours. But I wanna know a little more uh about the nitty-gritty with you. I wanna understand how you go from doing that to going with vet solutions and why you decided to go for a more plant-based natural way of working on yourself. If you can talk about that. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'd, I'd always put a lot into when I left uh, the agency, I did therapy for twice a week for three and a half years, you know, um, outside of the VA, I, I despise the VA. I will not even fucking step foot in a VA. And, uh, I just think the whole program's garbage. And, um, so it's okay. It is. And so is Canada. Yeah. You're not, you're not far off. <laughs> so I just, I pay out of my own pocket, you know, which I don't have a problem with to get my own medical care own whatever. And, uh, anyways, I started going to civilian therapy and, and I did that for three and a half years and it helped me, uh, a, a lot. It really helped me. Um, it's not an immediate fix. Have you done a lot of therapy? I've been in treatment for one, once a week for almost 12 years now since. Okay. Treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. So I, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, discount discredit it because they don't get, they don't get anything after the first session or the first two sessions. And it's like, look, man, this is a commitment. It's like getting in shape. Takes you know, a lot of you're work. not going to. You're not going to look great after one workout, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to do it. And I stuck with it, worked great. And uh, 
I love my therapist and uh, she's like, actually, to be honest with you, she went, I was the first vet she'd ever done, uh, ever done. Yeah. And now she's like, she's like the fucking special operations therapist. Everybody knows her and uh, like totally changed her entire practice. But anyways, um, seems like everywhere uh, you kind of touch, you seem to have uh, an impact there. Hey, I just well, you I see your post all the time. Fucking help somebody, right? So that's what I do too. And um, <clears throat> and uh, so, anyways, moved to Nashville after that, or moved to Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, which so therapy. I didn't want to get to know another one. I got so comfortable with where I was that I, I let it slide, you know, let it slide. And then life started sliding with it. And I started doing these damn interviews and, and those took off, which actually was what my business turned into. I don't train anymore. I haven't for years. And during, through these interviews, uh, Eddie Gallagher was the first one. He was talking about psychedelic treatment. And I was like, Actually, I think, yeah. And I was like, all right, that's interesting. And who did that? You know, who'd you go through? And he brought up Marcus and Amber and uh, interviewed them. And that was, a, you know, learned a lot uh, research. And for that interview, I learned a lot. I was like, holy shit, this is helping mm-hmm. with, with anxiety, depression, alcoholism, addiction, uh, opiate addiction, PTSD. Parkinson's, even Alzheimer's, they're doing oh, yeah. studies on. And I was like, what the fuck? And that's when I started really like going, man, pharmaceutical world is, a, they're evil. The and, rocket. Um, yeah. So I did that interview. And then there was a couple guys afterwards that I interviewed that were, that had also done it. And I was like, all right, I've not heard anything bad. I researched it probably more than anybody I know. <laughs> other than Capone's, you know, yeah, and 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 um, so I I was like, I'm gonna give it a shot because at that specific point in time, my life was just spinning out of control, and um, and I'm not just I would be, wasn't just for PTSD or traumatic brain injury. It was, I mean, you know, you run a business too, you know, that's that's a fucking shit ton of pressure. More pressure than I've ever felt uh, with both the agency or the SEAL teams. You know, you get a lot of pressure when you go out on an op and then the op's over and that pressure's relieved. You know, it's released. With business, when you're running your own business, it's hard to find the stop button. and There say is no stop button. Right? You know what I mean, though? It's hard to find the balance. Yeah. It's like there's always more shit to do. It yes. never ends. And that could take over your fucking life real fast. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially when you're like us. And um <clears throat> and um where you work, 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 work. You're just used to it from our careers and it never ends. And and um, you know, my son was born, I wasn't in the moment. A lot of it was business, some of it was, you know, PTSD, some of it's you know, TBIs and, and shit like that. But it was just, it, it was just so much pressure and so much 
not being in the moment, that's what really, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to try this, you know, let's see what it does. And it was everything that I had heard plus a hundred times. I mean, it was just, you did did them too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I like, I like to work on self-improvement and I found that is not, I'll get into that in a second. What uh, psychedelic did you uh, experience? Which one did you use? Did you go with vets with? I did Ibogaine and then 5-MeO-DMT. Okay. And and then uh, I've done a little microdosing um, yeah. afterwards. Yeah, so microdosing for TBIs is great. Um, I did a TBI treatment in Dallas, Texas with uh, the Resiliency Brain Health Center and Defenders of Freedom. And uh, it was a two-week intensive and it changed my life completely. My husband actually went through as a civilian as well. Um, because he was very unwell due to his TBI that we went undiagnosed. And, um, it's crazy to see how much psychedelics are not only healing, but healing people in a way that is causing this chain reaction. And I do wonder, and I, it's hard to look back and think about it because I I wonder how many people's lives could have been saved, how many people we could have still had if we had access to psychedelics much earlier on in the GWAT and all of those type of um, injuries, how it could have made a difference in their lives. I've never experienced Ibogaine uh, or 5-MeO. Which one did you find or do you notice was more effective or were they different and helped you in different ways? I th- I think they've, uh, I think it's almost like comparing the SEAL teams to the agency. You just can't really do it because, you know, but yep. the, I think the, I don't think one was more effective than the other. I think Ibogaine is a deeper, longer lasting. Uh, it goes real deep and, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, it keeps healing months after you do it. 5-MEO is probably the most profound experience of my entire life. It was, I mean, you fucking die. You die on that. You know what it's like to die. And you see what it's like on the other side. And that completely takes your fear of death away and makes you realize no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay. All your dead friends are right where they want to be. They have it way better than we do, right? You know, and um, and it's 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 very you know, ibogaine's kind of like a slow, deep. It's like playing the long game, you know. Mm. And five meos, like, bam, right in your face. It's happening, right? We're doing this right now. <laughs> We're go and, time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and I mean, it literally hits you within five seconds. You're in a on another planet and um and it's just it's it both of them just man i can't i everybody needs to do this shit you know they do do you what did you go ahead what you did psilocybin no so i i do i microdose psilocybin um i use the the stamina stacking method so i do monday tuesday wednesday off thursday friday and, um, and then I do ayahuasca as well. I go and sit in ceremony. So what I've kind of, I was really fortunate, um, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Just under two years. 
it actually happened because I started the show. I had um, one of our longtime sponsors, Combat Flip Flops. I had Griff on and we were having a conversation and he had brought up ayahuasca to me through heroic hearts. And um, for whatever reason, and now, now knowing him and, and understanding, I can understand how he saw it, but I was really struggling and I have a really great face for just looking like I'm not like I'm, I am, if people knew how good I was, I would be a fucking Oscar nominated actor. Like just, that's how good I can be. And I held it together really well. We finished the interview and, um, he got real close to the camera, like real, (laughs) real awkwardly close in Griff style and was like, Hey, how you doing? And I was like, I'm great. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm like, I'm great. And he's like, how are you actually doing? And for whatever reason, I didn't know this guy from a hole in the wall. I just fucking crumbled. Like you wouldn't, it was bad. And, and at the time I was really bad. I had, I had gone through that, you know, where you kind of plateau when you're in your treatment and wasn't getting any better, got off of the pharmaceutical drugs, um, almost all of them by using cannabis. So I went through that, you know, so I finally got away from all of the drugs they put me on. And I was only on one at that time, but talk therapy wasn't working. You know, physical fitness wasn't working, you know, eating healthy, wasn't working. being in the sun, doing everything. I was doing all the things I was meditating. I was doing the journaling. Nothing was getting better. And so I was at a point where I personally was suicidal again, like, yeah. and, and I had and I have an amazing husband. I have a great son. I have a great house. I have a great life. I have all the, everything is great. Right. And so why would, why was I feeling like that? I don't know. And I kept saying to my doctor, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, it's not getting better. Nothing's progressing. I don't. And I'm always the person who wants to get better. What's the next step? What's the next step? How do we do? How do we, I know I can improve more, but how do we get there? And I just didn't. And he said, listen, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There's this thing called ayahuasca. Um, there's an organization that helps people like us and they're called heroic hearts. And you know, there's a retreat coming up in like the next 30 days. And I think it would be good if you could come and I'll get you in touch with Jesse. And I didn't, and I'm the type of person where we have my husband and I have conversations before I like agree to shit like this. <laughs> so I'm yeah. always like, Hey man, sweet thing of this. And he's like, I mean, that sounds pretty cool. You should go try it. But I called him. I, he's like, do you want to come? And I just said, yes. I said, yes, yes. Whatever you need. Yes. Yes. And I called my husband. I was like, I'm going to do ayahuasca. And he goes, I don't know what that is. Uh, but okay. Whatever you think can help. Got you, girl. So I got on the phone with Jesse and I went. And then um, a month later, I went uh, and did uh, sat with my first ceremony with ayahuasca. And it, Griff was in that group and nine other guys like you and myself, which was weird because uh, I was the only woman and they welcomed me. It was the first time I was like really welcomed into a situation that I felt like I had no business being in. It was, it was all the agencies. It was all the purple hearts. It was all the combat. It was all these, like, just the fucking dudes that I used to see run around in black and then disappear when they took people away. And I was like, why am I in this room right now? And he's like, I remember Griff looking at me. He's like, because you deserve to heal too. And I was that I fucking, I've never felt 
I never felt connected like that at that point, right? I lost all that when I have lost my deployment. Fuck you, Sean. This is not supposed to be about me. So anyway, I had uh, that opportunity. And then what I realized from that was ayahuasca is now a part of my life. And it is very important that I maintain that relationship. So I went again that uh, October last year and sat in ceremony again with some of the same guys. Um, and it just solidified my, not my belief, but my, my love and my intent of wanting people to heal. And it really, in my heart, I believe will be through psychedelics. Um, so I really started putting a lot of weight and conversation and thought and energy behind how do I get friends into these types of programs? How do I broach this conversation? How do we, how do I go to the guy who's like, oh, I don't feel any pain about anything, Dean, and say, bro, you should probably come sit in this weird ceremony with me and drink this crazy tea and go to space because I think it's going to help you. And I think you're going to be a better person for it. And I think it's going to make your life great. And I think you're going to heal. And I think you deserve to heal. Um, so I started doing that. And so what I've kind of realized is I think Aya will be like a twice a year type situation. And then every three months, a hero's dose kind of level of psilocybin within myself. That's not guided, but that's more of like, go sit in the woods and deal with you kind of deal. So, and then the micro dose and then cannabis kind of throughout that. So I am a, I guess a psychedelic user, I guess is what people call cool. me. How often do you do ayahuasca? Well, I know plenty of people that do it on a semi-frequent basis. I think it's what they say is you'll feel the calling. You'll, you'll know. Yeah. It's not like, uh, it's not like, a, oh, I do it scheduled. Do, 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 do. I personally noticed when I did it that January, I started feeling like I should go sit in ceremony in, I think around like the August point. And then I did it in October. And what are we now? July, uh, June. And I have had this feeling for a couple months where I'm like, and I'm supposed to be, I'm having a conversation about going to Peru here in August. Um, oh, dude, are you going to do like a straight, like tribal one out in the, out in the mountains and shit? I want to do that. I want to make a documentary about it. I have I, a plan. Do that. You and I are going to talk after this. Shh, don't say anymore. Cause I, ha you're going to, all you're right. Gonna talk. <laughs> How are we going to talk? Okay. So anyway, psychedelics are important. I think they are healing. Um, I'm really glad that you went. I think there is a difference in your interviews since you've been back. Thank you. I've heard that a, a few times. I and hope then, you don't take that in a bad way. I take that in a way of like, you can see the peace in your face. You can see the calm is kind of returned. And I think without knowing you, and I'm going to really take a leap here, I think you love yourself again for the first time in a while. Yeah, you're right. All of the above. You know, one, one, of, the, one of the first things, I mean, all the healing and everything uh, that happened with my relationship with my wife was better. Uh, it wasn't bad before, but it's better now. And um, my with my son, I, mean, I can see a difference in him. It just, I think if he was maybe, what, six months old, six, five or six months old, 
you know, and, and you could see like how much calmer he was around me. And, uh, and I mean, I have a, I have a episode that talks all about this, but I haven't had a drink since I didn't even go there to quit drinking. You know, I haven't had a drink, one drop of alcohol since I've been, it's been over four months now. Um, haven't had any caffeine, no coffee, I, which I just, like, it just don't crave it anymore. Sugar was gone for a long time. That's back now. But um, uh, I didn't feel the need to smoke cannabis at all, you know, for several months uh, after. And, 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 you know, something that's like really stuck also that I didn't, I totally wasn't expecting was being open to things. And um, I thought I was always open. <laughs> I wasn't open, you know, like, <laughs> So many, man, it's just things that would have, I would have chalked up as bullshit, you know, like a lot, like, I'll just say this, the fucking hippies were onto something, man, <laughs> you know, they were, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I did not realize how closed off I was to things and, and whether that's everything, you know, political views, um, new methods of healing new ways of life like I, I have you ever read the four agreements i'm reading it right now oh that's creepy Dude. yeah i read that oh. book after after like right after my uh i began five amio journey and i was it's so simple and it makes so much sense but i would have completely chalked that up as bullshit you know what i mean before mm -hmm. that journey i'd be like whatever this is just and I live by that now, you know, and, uh, and yeah, that guy is awesome. Yeah. Smart. Don Miguel dude. Ruiz. Yeah. Uh, he's got to figure it out. And, um, but it just, all these things are just, have opened up, you know, just by being open, different guests on the show, different, you know, things happening in business, better family life. Mm-hmm you know, stronger friendships, weeding out the bullshit, you know, not yes. feeling fucking guilty all the time when, you know, I mean, you give people and you know, they don't have, maybe they're not bad intentions, but you know, they don't give a shit about you. All they want is what you have or this or that. And you still feel that guilt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I got to give this person the time of day. And you don't have to fucking give them the time of day because they're just going to take, 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 take. And that used to really fuck with me. I'd be like, man, I'm an asshole if I told them no. Yeah. And what I've realized is I'm an asshole when I keep saying yes to this fucking turd that wants to take for me. And I'm, what I'm really doing is saying no to my wife and my son and my real friends because I'm spending my time with these fuckers, you know, who are just taken. Take, 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 take. And and after that psychedelic journey, and that was a big thing that I struggled with was resentment and uh and dealing with that kind of shit. And it just totally ripped that guilt out of my self. It was just you don't need to feel guilty about that. They'll find whatever they need. Somebody else will give it to them. It doesn't have to be you. You know, you give enough. And um and and that like really improved my quality of life by getting rid of that guilt you know of, of you know what i'm 
I, I know you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, but 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. When so you run a business, saw. when you run a podcast, when you're trying to do things, when you're in communication with certain individuals that are maybe untouchable for others, you become the person that everybody wants something from. And then you yeah. feel like shit because you're like, I would have wished somebody would have given me the time of day. And now I have the opportunity. But if it's affecting you negatively and it's a pattern behavior, it's okay yeah. to set boundaries and say no. Yeah. And yeah. that I've struggled with that my whole life. And the and and the psychedelics really helped me focus in on these are the people you want to help. You know, these are the people that are gonna take the help you give them and and it's gonna yeah. it's gonna, you know expound what they're doing they're not just going to keep can you do well now can you do this for me can you do this Mm -hmm. now and um and so that really that took a huge load off my shoulders you know in life too and that's another thing that i wasn't expecting to happen from this dude that's amazing i think there's i think there's a lot of lessons in your life that you've gone through that psychedelics really have just kind of brought all the way around for you um it's like i reference it to like 10 years of therapy or 15 years of therapy all in a session it just shows you everything you don't want to see and the stuff that's in your subconscious and the things that are around you and you said something that really hit me and it's because i had a similar situation but i think it's important to let people know that there is those potentials to heal in a different way like for me seeing certain people that have been passed away now getting that opportunity again to see kind of not what happens next not so much being afraid of death but wanting to know that those people were in a better spot whatever that is whatever that may be whether it's your religion whatever you believe in heaven or hell or just the universe but when you said like you know getting to see your friends again and they're in a way better position than we are now like that's a beautiful thing to be able to give to people on this planet, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have you on, to talk about these things. I personally would like it not to be the last time. I think there's a lot I want to dive into with you, but I do know we have a time limit, so I will respect it. Um, can you do me a favor and tell everyone else where they can find anybody that you support or anything that you're doing that they can help follow, support, and listen to? Um, Vigilance Elite. It's on the sign behind me. Just Google it. Everything you want to know will pop up. And uh, that or Sean Ryan show and uh, all my, everything will pop up. Everything that I want you to see will pop up. <laughs> I was just going to say. So. <laughs> oh, but, I love that. Oh, yeah. dude. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. I do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. What a great interview. That was that was a good interview. Feel good about good. it. Good. So, I'm really glad. No problem, man. Anytime. You're always welcome. But um, you stick with me. Everyone else, Sean Ryan. We'll see you next week. <laughs>